everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. In this episode, we are going to look at 1999's Never Been Kissed through the eyes of my co-host for today, I'm Overwhelmed, Eureka O'Hara. Plus, at the end of the show, I'm going to talk a little bit about The Matrix Resurrections and the one, the only, the singular, uh, the singular duo, really, uh, the Wachowskis. I can't delay any further. I've got to give this person a proper introduction. They are a drag queen, a drag artist. You may know them from RuPaul's Drag Race Season 9 or Season 10 or Drag Race All-Stars, but you can also catch them in American Horror Story Season 10, Women Behind Bars, Broadway HD is where you can find that, and then, of course, the HBO series We're Here, alongside fellow drag superstars Shangela and Bob the Drag Queen. Eureka, welcome to the show. Is there anything else we need to know about you, crucially, that I left out? Oh my god, honestly, you just need to know that I am in love with your voice. You sound so good, (laughs) and your energy is amazing. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm glad to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. I am, I I have to, because I, I have to be very sort of honest to establish like a baseline in a conversation. I... I get to talk to a lot of people and I'm very fortunate about that and I love it and I get excited every time, but I don't typically get nervous, but I am definitely nervous to talk to you because I think that drag queens are the pinnacle of living performers on this earth. And so being faced with a drag artist such as yourself is, is legitimately overwhelming to me and so i'm gonna be working through that at the start of our conversation as we get going my my intimidation at the specter of well, your talent mama don't you dare be intimidated listen you're doing great and first of all i have nothing <laughs> to have you intimidated about i am just jolly like santa and it's almost christmas okay <laughs> <laughs> um but i will i will bring us to our cause for the day which is you've brought us the movie never been kissed and specifically the character drew Barry. Moore's Josie Geller, the enterprising journalist, the recovered from being an outcast in high school, dubbed Josie Grossi by the student body. She gets her chance to go back to school to write an undercover feature, an expose piece about what the kids are like today, which gives her the opportunity to sort of reclaim her high school experience in the portion of a school year. And so what about Josie Geller, Eureka? so resonated with you. Why is Josie the character that we are talking about today? Well, you know, I think it's, you know, weirdly, if anyone's seen the movie, I think it's pretty self-explanatory as a queer person. Like, I automatically know what it's like to be an outcast. I know what it's like to be picked on or bullied or, you know, have, like, feelings for people that I can't really voice. And if I do, it's kind of a joke. And then, you know, also wanting to have this yearn for success after high school because it was a rough go. And for most queer people, it is. You know, so for me, I just resonated when I was growing up with this movie so much because, you know, Josie becomes cool. And it's like, that's the dream. Mm -hmm. And she becomes everything she wanted to be. But she also, like, learns who she is in the movie. And that just resonates with me as a queer person. As a kid, it was just like... I know who Josie Grossi is because I was Josie Grossi at one point. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I wanted, yep, yep. And girl, when they threw the eggs at her in the pink dress, I just wanted to wear the pink oh. lame dress. I'm like, Mama, 
<laughs> Why would you ruin that beautiful pink LePay 80s loud dress? It's amazing. You know, I, 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 when I started like really, like as soon as this was presented as an option, I was like, oh my God, there's so, there's so much here that I want to get into specifically with like, I, I, you know, there are very apparent, like, you know, queer resonant narratives in the story, but specifically as a drag artist, like what you have in the story of Josie is a story of a person and her persona. And both of them are authentic expressions of herself. Like, undercover Josie is not disingenuous Josie, but, like, reporter Josie, IRL Josie, is not, like, some... It is not like the only true version of herself. So I wanted to talk to you about that coexistence of living as person and persona like Josie does do in this movie. It's really like, I mean, it's perfect to the idea of like even my life now because, you know, I live mm-hmm. as David outside of drag as a non-binary human being. But, you know, Eureka is a female mm-hmm. character, you know, and I kind mm-hmm. of live that dual life as well, you know, even now as an adult. But I think also like... You know, even growing up, I had like two lives, really, like one that I was living in my mind as a queer individual Mm -hmm. and the things that I enjoyed, but I had to like not really voice them and keep them to myself and play kind of a Mm -hmm. part for society and like Mm -hmm. for the world around me just so I could like skate by without being, you know, you know, without, I mean, really just to survive, you know what I mean? It's sad, but that's the truth. And now, so you, you said like you, you could, you could identify with with Josie Grozy, uh, you know, what is it when you're watching Never Been Kissed is your sort of first point of identification that high school version of Drew Barrymore in this movie? Or is it like the like the first one, like the Josie Grozy version or the I'm not Josie Grozy anymore, like reclamation project that she undertakes? I mean, who do I relate with the most is probably... Um, you know, it depends on what point in my life we're referring to, right, I guess. of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think as a child, I really resonated with, like, the scared, timid, like, shy Josie Grossy, right? But the person mm-hmm. on the inside really resonated with, like, the, I'm not Josie Grossy anymore. And now as an mm-hmm. adult, I resonate with that character that's standing on the home run mat at the end of the movie waiting for the boy to come kiss her because she finally, like, admitted to the world who she is and what she represents presents right well and i i a thing that really a thing that really struck me watching it to to get ready for this was how josie's intention in going back is never and what she talks about what she wanted so much in high school she never talks about like i wish like she loves the idea of coolness but she doesn't talk about what she longed for in the context of being cool or being popular she keeps repeating that like i just wanted to belong yeah i just wanted to be included and i think that for a movie made in like that kind of 90s era where like the idea of being cool and having that like you know becoming taking off your glasses and becoming the, the Rachel Lee Cook you always were in like a <laughs> in a she's all that like it's a, it's this ascendance to a level of like like popularity and cultural cachet. Absolutely. But this movie actually holds up really well in its specific delivery of even watching it now. The goal is just Josie wanting to be accepted for who she is and not necessarily wanting to pretend to be something other than she's 
than she really is. It's not a, because when the cool girls come around to her, it's because they come around to Josie just being Josie. She's still, like, good at math. She still loves Shakespeare. She still loves sweater sets. She doesn't suddenly start dressing like everybody else. They start dressing like her. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is it's a testament to, you know, how much we let what other people think about us affect how we think. I think I loved that play on um, social interaction in this film. What I love mm-hmm. about it is it, it's it's a true representation of um, young, youthful social interaction and how it works is because obviously with Rob, her brother coming in, like telling all these yeah. stories and making her sound cool to other people and making her seem yep. more important, nothing about her changed except their perception. Right. It wasn't like exactly anything exactly. about her or her appearance. But then once she got that attention, that confidence built and that changed who she was mm-hmm, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, again, it shows that interaction of like we all kind of can fall into that place of caring what other people think. So then she's getting that attention. So she starts changing who she is versus being her authentic self. And I don't know. I just think it's like literally the best movie. I can watch it anytime, any day. Of any week and get my whole life again. It's my favorite. And Molly Shannon is great in it. Well, and I, and I, a thing I wanted to, I think I wanted to ask you specifically about was like how, because it seems like such a, because in the, in the column that, that Josie writes at the end of the movie when she like, she's realized that her story all along was the one she had inside of herself. And she, instead of doing this expose, which would have been totally legitimate about a teacher hitting on a student and how close are teacher relations and student relations and are they too close? She goes with the like, I had something happen to me when I was a senior, a boy pranked me at prom. And she says in the column, like, and I never got over that. Like that changed her forever. And there's an interesting thing that, like, even as the world is putting its expectations on us, we start to put these expectations on our own selves for how we are. Well, that's not something I do. That's not how I am. And you see that, I think, with Rob, too. Like, he is very sort of beholden to this childish image of himself, which makes it, even though nobody, even maybe people who aren't expecting more of Rob at this point, because he's the guy who works at the Tiki Post, Rob has sort of (laughs) developed this set of expectations for his daily goings-on that you have to, like, like you said, it's about buying into yourself. And I wanted to talk to you specifically about that idea of sort of coming through the expectations to your own self to come out the other side to sort of just like change your own change your own possibilities by virtue of not holding yourself to a standard of sort of what you've always been, because you are obviously a person who has had wonderful, resplendent transformations in your own life. Oh, yeah, girl. I mean, I've been through so many phases and transitions in my life, and I always say retransitions, too, instead of detransition, because <laughs> I even lived as a trans individual mm. for mm-hmm. four years in college. Mm-hmm. Then I retransitioned to, like, try to live as a gay male. Then I retransitioned and now living as a non-binary elephant human hybrid queen. Mm-hmm. So now I am on yes. that Base mount, honey. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think that it just goes to show that we have we have options. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We do. That's what people forget that. You have options. You have the right mm-hmm. to make the decisions for yourself and your life and who you are and who you want to be and how you want to be perceived. I think that we get caught up in the idea of what we should be perceived as or how we should look or how we should act. And I think that's another testament here in this movie where, you know, um, even the makeover scene, it's so funny because when she shows up, obviously Molly Shannon dresses her up and and she's in like all white with the white feather boa and all this stuff, but not realizing like that might've been cool in the eighties, but this, you know, so it's like, it's, it's about perception. Mm -hmm. It's about, you know, 
um, owning who you want to be. Well, there I I I watched a, a video that you did with Trixie Mattel of you guys like doing your makeup next to one another, uh-huh. and you I, I thought it, you brought up something really interesting where you mentioned that like when you were living, I think it was as Erica for those those years you were you were um you identifying as a as a woman and living as a woman. Um, you talked about how it became a lot of pressure because people, so many people knew you as Eureka uh-huh. in the area. You found yourself having to be Eureka all of the time and sort of the performance never stopped. And I thought that was a really interesting sort of like the, the ways in which like the performance of self can something be, we can get really caught up in too and sort of lose track of and be like, okay, I have to recalibrate this differently actually. Cause I love Eureka and Eureka is a part of me, but I'm also a vast multitude of things that Eureka is a component of. I, I, I guess it would what it would boil down to is how have you learned to manage the sort of expectations on your various selves as you find the balance between each of them to give yourself the most sort of like harmony in your life? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's actually a brilliant question. I think it's really based on self-awareness. Weirdly, Mm. I think first, for me, it's been Mm. self-awareness. It's knowing what I am contributing to the conversation or to the atmosphere or to the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, I think think I've noticed, Jordan, that – that I do, I do offer a lot, but I also have a lot of emotions. I'm a very emotional person, so I can't put those expectations on myself. And I mm. have to pay attention to other people's expectations, totally. but don't create the narrative in mm. my mind that other people are creating for me. You know, be your own writer, mm-hmm. right? Write your own story yeah, is yeah. kind of the thing. So be your own narrator. Mm-hmm. So obviously people are going to always have their opinions. And you want to listen and be a sponge and take in everything, all the knowledge, all the opinions. But at the same time, those expectations that others are putting on you, we as people put so much on ourselves we have to know what Mm -hmm. to listen to and what not to um what to allow Mm -hmm. uh to dictate our narrative personally and then Mm -hmm. make the decision for Mm -hmm. ourselves like no that doesn't work for me this works for me but that doesn't right and which is something i like to talk about a lot is customizing you know for me as a bigger person as a queer person i've had Mm -hmm. to kind of customize my life for me, mm. whether it's spirituality, mm-hmm. my clothing, my my living, my you know the space I live in, the chairs I sit in, the cars I ride in, totally. you know it's, it's it's all about customizing it for yourself, I think, and not putting too much expectations on yourself. Um, and then mm-hmm. also, let's just get down to the uh, the nuts and bolts of the situation. <laughs> it don't matter what anyone else thinks of you unless they are paying you, financing you, or feeding you. <laughs> That is that is a wonderfully succinct, correct explanation. <laughs> Moral of the story: <laughs> ain't none of their business, girl. Absolutely, <laughs> unless they're paying you, well, feeding you, or financing you. I was just gonna say, or family. I guess I don't know where I messed up there, but maybe family. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start becoming comfortable with this assertion of being able to customize your life? Like, where in your sort of like, because you know, you you've had sort of this incredible public career, and then you were a whole private person before that. Has it been has it been easier as you've become a more public figure to do that because of like perhaps gaining like a, an ability to take more of a stand in like career decisions, or does that become like its own sort of harder challenge because there are sort of more voices calling after you that you need to sort of insist on that customizing in the face of you know it's so interesting because i was in i was just recently in israel so lucky and blessed to go mm. um and i was one of my friends deckle there they they have much smaller cars there 
in Israel, they don't have like big vehicles really. Cause it, you know, oh, sure. there's yeah. the population's huge. Mm-hmm. The streets are very narrow. Um, so like even their SUVs are like, you know, they're not the biggest. Um, mm-hmm. and so it, it's so funny. Every time I would get in the car, he would ask me a million times, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? Are you comfortable? And I would just say, I finally said, Deckel, <laughs> I, I'm never comfortable. And he was like, I don't know. Right. He was like, I don't know what that feels like to never be comfortable. That must be terrible. I said, no. I mean, I find comfort in my life. But honestly, most yeah. of the time, I am uncomfortable. I'm a large person. I take up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. I you know, am a person of difference. But I find comfort in being uncomfortable. And that's the craziest mm-hmm. thing is it's like once you just start to love and appreciate the parts of yourself that are uncomfortable, then you find comfort mm-hmm. in it. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's weird, but yeah. it's like you have to kind of love the negatives too. You have to learn to appreciate yeah. it, respect it, um, at least. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I think that's kind of what I do. And then also, I just grow. I customize because I have to. It's not really a choice. Yeah, you know, I yeah, I wasn't really given a choice to. You know, people think, oh, well, you chose to be gay, or or you choose to be big, <laughs> or well, you know, I right. my eating habits are the same as my. I have a housemate that's a hundred and ten pounds, and he would love to gain weight, but and eats mm-hmm, like a mm-hmm. beast and the craziest things, but <laughs> cannot. And so he has body right. dysmorphia on a whole nother spectrum than even I do. And um, right, right. and deals with those issues, but myself as a bigger person, my body is not built the same way. So it's not a decision that I'm mm-hmm. making. I eat much better right. and much healthier, potentially, if you're going on a, a guide of nutrition, than maybe my mm-hmm. my skinny friend does. So you know, a lot of times it's not a decision that we're making. It's just who we are. So it's learning to accept yeah. it and finding ways to make yourself comfortable. So that's what customizing is really about. It's about like, Mm, that's where the self-awareness comes from, I think. It's understanding where Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. fit in the world. Um, And yeah, because it's okay not to fit in everywhere, which I think is the biggest thing that um, Josie Geller learns in the movie Mm -hmm. is that she doesn't want to fit in with everybody in the end of the movie. She realizes it's not important to be a part of everything and everyone. It's impossible to. So when you put that desire and expectation on yourself, that's when you're, you're creating um, an expectation that you just can, it's just unattainable, you know? So it's unrealistic and unattainable. Well, and I, and this gets the, like, I feel like this, this furthers into something I wanted to ask you about too from this is like the power of, and you know, she, there's the sort of misfire on the makeover with Molly Shannon, but then like there's (laughs) the shopping scene. And I wanted to hear from you about like, what is that that is so powerful about the cinematic makeover like i feel like and you get that adrenal rush when the when the makeover montage happens like what is it that is so just like elemental when you watch these things where it's like oh this is a thrill something exciting is happening why do we love a makeover montage why do you we know love a i think it's because we all love to see the before and after i think it's also the fun and excitement of seeing people have fun together I think it's just like, to be honest, I think it's seeing people mm-hmm. laugh together and enjoy. And, and it's just, it's just embarking yeah. joy. Like people are, it's fun. The music, the beat hits louder. It starts to be exciting and everyone's dancing around and people are laughing with each other. And then the end result is like, mm-hmm. you get to see the confidence and the happiness on that character's face or that person's face. As much as it mm-hmm. is like, oh my God, you look so beautiful now. It's like, Oh my God, you look like you feel so beautiful. 
I think that's where the adrenaline comes from is it's like, uh-huh. yeah. look at how you feel. You know what I mean? It's not just like how you look. It's like, ooh, they look like they feel lovely. They feel hot. You know what I mean? We all want to feel gorgeous. And the something I told the kids during the pandemic is like, when I'm feeling down, if I get up and I'm like groggy or like depressive or whatever, this whole makeover thing is a good idea to think about. It's like, girl, sometimes you just got to get up and make and dress up for no reason. Just get up and dress up. Girl, just do it. Right. Because it will make you, it'll make you feel pretty. <laughs> Yeah. Just make yourself feel pretty, girl. And then all of a sudden, you're going to want to go out and do something. Because you're going to be like, I ain't wasting <laughs> this face. You know what I mean? I ain't wasting these good crisp clothes. You know? <laughs> and I, there is, you know, there is that great, in the, early in one of the classes that that Josie shows up for when she, I think it's in, in Michael Varton's class. I think he is uh-huh. the one teaching, like, literature and Shakespeare. Oh, Sam Coulson. And they have that. Coulson, right? Coulson? So yes, yes. Teacher Sam Coulson? Coulson? I, I think it so. might be Coulson. And, um... They talk about, like, the power of disguise. You see, the point Shakespeare's trying to make is that when we're in disguise, we feel freer. We, we do things we, we wouldn't do in ordinary life. There is so much truth to the idea of comfort within costume. I have a dear friend who his boyfriend is extremely anxious in groups, but he and he doesn't like to be perceived at all. He's very shy. He's very introverted. But he loves costumes. Uh-huh. And he got into a ghost sheet at Halloween (laughs) and he ran around the deck at the house we were staying at going, "Okay, everyone, dynamic arms like he wanted everybody to be the most performative ghost they could be because he could be extroverted Mm -hmm. more when he had this sheet over him. And I wanted to talk to you about I think you would be a great a great person to consider the conversation of the Uh liberating power of a costume and a performance. Yeah, no, it is so liberating. I mean, I think that's what is so special about drag and we're here, the show that we do on HBO is because yes. we are putting people in this, um, in an overly glamorous version of themselves in this like character mm-hmm. chic, like costumes and, and the gaudiness and the flash. And the, it's just, it's when people feel like they get to become something other than themselves, then it's mm-hmm. almost like they get to become their authentic self, which is kind of crazy mm-hmm. to think about. Yeah. But I think it's because, you know, honestly, I think it's because people disassociate the limitations and the rules and the expectations that they're putting on themselves as personal human beings when they have a costume or a character, they get to pretend like they're being someone else. Then all of a sudden the responsibility is no longer on them as a person. The responsibility is on the costume or the character, right? Mm -hmm, So the mm -hmm. responsibility of how I'm acting is because I am a ghost right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not because yeah. I'm Sam, if that's their name. You know what I mean? Yeah. My, my, him, Sam's boyfriend. Oh, Sam's boyfriend. Sam's boyfriend. So, so Sam's yes. boyfriend, it's not Sam's boyfriend right now. He's a ghost. That's Casper, bitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Casper's flying around here. So it's like, there, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's an opportunity to release yourself of the responsibilities of being yourself, which is really all right. self-inflicted. I just want to be honest. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's, it's self-infliction, um, ruled and police by societal standards mm-hmm. or morality or being a good person and all mm-hmm. that, which some of those things are great and they're amazing and they're perfect to live by. But yeah. then there's also yeah. negative expectations that can be inflicted by, you know, certain rules and, 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 and standards that are being limiting you um, because you're afraid of what other people will think. So 
Mm-hmm. I mean, girl, we could write the book or digest this in so many magical <laughs> like, ways, but that I think is the root of it. Seriously. It's releasing responsibility. That's a really that's a really amazing point that I I had I've not had put to me in that phrasing before. The idea of not just like, oh, I get to pretend to be something else or it's a fantasy. The actual specific notion of releasing yeah. the responsibility it is a fantasy. of being your given mm-hmm. name. I mean, that's why drag queens can get away with saying the craziest stuff is it's like, like as David, I would never. So Eureka O'Hara, the drag queen can walk into a mm-hmm. club and be like, and a girl walks up and she's got her booster on and her boobies are up to her chin and she's makeup yeah. out of her, out of her mind. And I can go, <laughs> all right, mommy, you got your tits on a shelf, bitch. You better work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yes, David yes. isn't going to walk into a club and be like, all right, titties, you better, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> there is a difference there because Eureka gets away yeah. with it because it's, there is this like notion of the release of responsibility. Oh, that's a drag queen. It's okay. But look how glamorous yeah. and their titties are on their chin too. And you know what? I bet their wieners right, in their yeah. butt cracks. So that gives them a, you know, <laughs> so there is like this, it's just it's a real yeah, equalizer. It's a equalizer. real equalizer. My titties are on my chin, their wieners in their butt crack. We're even. Yeah. <laughs> We are now going to take a quick break, and when we get back, Eureka is going to talk a little bit about her deep love for Drew Barrymore. Could you ever relate to a person more than that? So stay tuned. That'll be great. This week on Tights and Fights... Austin Creed, better known as WWE superstar Xavier Woods, unbalancing his many passions. This dude actually wants these ridiculous things. He wants to wear a crown. He wants to be a G4. He wants to have a Yacht Rock band. Like, he wants to DJ at a, at a festival one day. WWE and G4's Austin Creed on Tights and Bites. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, it's me, James Arthur M., host of Minority Corner, your home through these bewild times for weekly doses of pop culture, history, news, nerdy stuff, and more through a BIPOC queer and allied lens. That's how you get Joel Schumacher putting nipples on Batman. Yeah. I didn't ask, like, and I say no. this as a gay, I say this as a gay man, didn't ask for it. I don't need to see <laughs> Batman's nipples on his suit. Who is this for? Who is this for? <laughs> I did a bunch of research. I wanted to just know about the history of black people in Argentina. So... Not only did they erase Black people from their history, they also started to flip and use it as slurs. We're not done. Like, we're not done with the work that needs to be done. And so stay awake. So join me and some of your new BFFs every Friday here on Maximum Fun to stay informed, empowered, and have some fun. Minority Corner, because together, we're the majority. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. I'm your host, Jordan Cruciola, and I'm speaking to Eureka about Never Been Kissed. Now, I, I wanna I wanna ask about I wanna ask about we're here in that in the context of, you know, I feel like drag drag artists, drag performers, they, I feel like they've kind of seen it all. Like the 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 scope of the human experience that you have both lived and you have been witness to and you have seen amongst your community. What, if anything, what has been like a surprising aspect of doing We're Here going into these communities? Like, I think there's an episode uh, from season one of Branson, Missouri. I think the yeah. first one that you guys do is in Gettysburg, yes. Pennsylvania. Like, what if what if anything has surprised you about bringing drag to the masses in this specific way in what you're trying to do for folks? 
You know, honestly, the surprise is always the amount of support, I think, that these towns okay. bring to the show and to mm-hmm. these queer these queer people. I think that's what's always shocking is, mm-hmm. is how many queer people there are that don't realize that each other is there. Or how many yeah, allies, yeah. how many allies that are mm-hmm. there that people don't realize they actually do have around them. I think that's what yeah. makes it so magical is because we're creating a queer space. One, uh, we, we usually mm-hmm. actually every episode we create two queer spaces. We create a safe mm-hmm. space where we call it camp. Um, and we mm. dress it up mm. and that's where we have our consultations with our daughters yeah. and um, we usually glam it up, theme it around whatever is popular in that town also mixed with some weird here memorabilia from past cities yeah. usually at this point. And then we also take a space that we create a performance space out of, which is where people mm-hmm. come together to watch the drag show and what we're doing is we're leaving that accepting and that high energetic energy in that space um, Mm-hmm. And we also found another space that accepted us enough to allow us to do the show there. So people are also reminded, mm-hmm. hey, there's two more locations in my town that are more accepting than I even realized. So right. now you have two two safe spaces in your mind, at least. So that can give mm-hmm. a local that doesn't feel like they've ever been seen or ever had support in their town, two more places that make them feel safer where they live. And then when you mm-hmm. have a thousand local people, like 500 to a thousand local people willing and wanting to come see the show and support that you never thought would actually show up. Um, yeah. That also gives you hope for your current living area because you're like, wow, I didn't even realize this many people cared or, or didn't care in that fact. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I, I wonder, like, do you find that, you know, what is sort of the, do you find that there's a sort of through line in what gets people over to that place of being able to access like a sort of different persona or a new character? Is it like when the makeup goes on? Is it when the outfit goes on? Is it when the hair goes on? Like, what do you find is sort of that? And maybe what for you too is that switch flip when like your Eureka? Is it the outfit? Is it the attitude? Is it the eyeliner? Is it the makeup? Like, what is that? You know, for me, it's the wig, to be honest. Mm, Okay. The wig and the titties. That's what I always say. <laughs> Girl, I can have I can be fully painted but have like my regular clothes on and I'm still David. You know what I mean? But as yeah, soon as yeah. I have a wig and tits on, I don't even have to have makeup on. Honey, if I got if I got a wig and titties on, girl, I am a woman. You can't tell me nothing, you know. <laughs> but I notice with um, the the people that we work with on, we're here. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the click happens just by the support and the people around wow. them. Like it's, it's just by oh. the energy around them. So like, it'll be, it can be as simple as us trying on like the corset and the undergarments, but having yeah. the people around them being like, yes, bitch work. Oh yes, mama. <laughs> and they throw a wig on. They don't even have to have makeup on. They start turning into this other persona, with just the minimum right. on. But girl, yeah. as soon as they're all the way up in, Oh my God, they're a whole nother person. You know, it's, well, they're not a whole nother person, really. The truth is, is they're all of themselves. Right, right, yeah. That's what's crazy. People are like, oh, I turned into this diva. No, you became fully a diva that's inside you. You know what I mean? That's always there, girl. You know, but like straight men that do drag, 
the flamboyancy and the femininity that they hide from their whole life because society tells them to hide from it and to only present masculine traits that comes out yeah for women mm-hmm, usually mm-hmm. the sassiness that they're told they're not allowed to be sassy they have to be calm and meek and and catering wow. to the outside you know they're supposed to be sweet and loving but the next thing you know honey yeah. they're the sassy sometimes slutty and flirtatious ones because they're not <laughs> always allowed to be you know what i mean yeah they're they're not it's not the role of submission that they oh, have to play exactly anymore. and then gay boys girl full on <laughs> full on supermodels of the world twirling dipping hunty <laughs> they are in their mind they are pop star straight women you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> they are straight women. they are ariana grande they are beyonce yep. <laughs> They are Mariah and girl, Carey. And also, I ain't never seen Mariah Carey act like that. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I will I will I will take it back to our to our point of discussion today, which is like in the end of in the end of Never Being Kissed, you have a you have a Josie Geller yeah. who feels like she is more able to be her total self by the end of the movie as opposed to like a categorized version of herself that she seems like she was happy working at the newspaper she's very proud of her job but at the end when she gets to be the blend of the things it seems like she always wanted to be that feels like the triumph is that Josie gets to be complete well that is what's the triumph and she gets the man in the end and she gets the man in the end in the most theatrical fashion possible thank god because they were so (laughs) cute together and it's just like and, and that's also what I resonate with the most is like, we all, I think we all desire having that special someone or having mm-hmm. someone that we just relate to or can live our lives with. Obviously we're, we're raised from a very young age and taught that like, that's what we're supposed to do is find our significant other soulmate. And then we live the rest of our lives with them. Now, as we progress yeah. as a human race and as people and beings, we've realized that's not true. That's just another social, you know, formality that we've been embedded to believe and i think that now you know there is other ways to love and other people and you can have numbers of of significant others if that's the choice that you make or you can have one it's up to you so i think that's something that we're also growing from which is nice so i mean it's funny because obviously the 90s movies but i can't wait to see like i want to see the version of never been kissed that we're going to make in 3001 you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the movie I want to see because I'm curious to see how it is so different. I, I want to see like, you know, polyamory in a, in a love story. Well, in, in, in what you say, like I, I, the categorization, I, I like the sort of broadness of it, of, of person of difference. And I, I when I like watch this, like I, I've always loved that Lily Sobieski character. Uh-huh. And I am, I identify on the asexual spectrum. Okay. I'm a panromantic gray asexual person. Congratulations. And so for me, my... Thank you very much. I love yeah. it personally. Um, that's my multi hyphenate, and I, <laughs> my friendships are my my love stories, and so I love that. anytime I can find in movies spaces where intimacy, the definition of intimacy, can be broadened beyond precisely sexual partnership yeah. or monogamy. I it makes me so happy, and the fact that when Josie has her like her like coming out speech basically at prom where she rescues Lily's character from having dog food poured on her poured on her by the asshole girls at school she gives like she gives a speech about herself but she also like accents yes. it by talking about like this beautiful amazing special person let me tell you something about this girl she is unbelievable I was new here and she befriended me, no questions asked. 
But you, you were only my friend after my brother, Rob, posed as a student and told you to like me. And it's like talking about this girl she's become close with. And I was like, I'm so glad that like a climactic point in this movie mm-hmm. can feature the like importance and specialness and formative nature of the the bond between these two friends. Because that's really like, that's what gets my heart going yeah. the most. And the fact that like this movie ends with her getting Michael Vartan, but also, like, standing on the side of the field, like, arm-in-arm with Molly Shannon and Lily Sobieski, too. I was like, yes! Exactly. Because it's about the entire community of love that she has around her. And it's it's a thing that feels really, Mm -hmm. like, lovely and sincere about this movie that I really appreciate. And I, so another, another thing I wanted to ask you as we get close to the end here is another suggestion for a movie you mentioned was Ever After. And so I wanted to know what is, what is it about Drew Barrymore for you? What is it about Drew Barrymore uh, in, I don't know if you saw these movies when they came out in like the nineties and this was just a time when you and Drew were really synced up. What is it about her? Girl, every Drew Barrymore movie she has ever done, I have seen it. I am obsessed, (laughs) you know, because, and I got to interview Drew Barrymore for season one. One actually, see Stephen Warren, who, oh. yeah, he, one of the co creators of We're Here actually represents Drew Barrymore. So I was so blessed to get to do an interview with her. And I was, I was honestly a nervous wreck. I couldn't help it. <laughs> uh, but I did get to talk to her a little bit. But what I love, I think what I love about Drew Barrymore is in every movie, every character, I still see a human being. I, yeah, I feel yeah. something authentic about Drew Barrymore, something that's relatable to me, something that she's so beautiful, but she does have a slight lisp, right? She does have, <laughs> yeah. there's there's slight what some people would consider imperfections about Drew Barrymore mm-hmm. that just make her that much more beautiful and relatable to me. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, and so, and I just love her, her whether it was her deciding what role she was going to play in films or just what she's cast for. I just love what role she plays and, and the stories behind them. So I'm just, I love her and I love what she, the work she's done, you know, ever after another story. I think we all can relate to it's the Cinderella story, but it's a much raw, a a much more raw, I feel like authentic version of the story, which I love with a lot of, mm-hmm. we could go on a whole nother podcast about that movie. Don't get me started. Because <laughs> yeah. the mention of Leonardo da Vinci to describe to the, all the, the references in the film versus the the action between the stepmother and where that hatred, it's just, it's well done. So I, my, I, my, I, I feel like a concluding question I would like to ask you is if you were, if you were in a never been kissed situation, what? sort of what would you be going back to reclaim would you like it's like i want to be the all-star jock i want to be i want to be the head cheerleader i want to be like is there is there an archetype that you were like i'm gonna go back and i'm gonna show those bitches would you be carrie shit would you be carrie oh, white and girl. go like full blood prom like oh, everyone would what, die is there anything everyone would be dead no i'm kidding could you imagine everyone would be dead <laughs> they're all dying <laughs> you're all going out get y'all say hello to my little I friend have- i'm just kidding could you imagine <laughs> No, I have I'm heard, I, Eureka, I have heard that same I'm answer kidding. from at least five drag no, queens. No, I don't think that I, would be the case for me. That would not be the case for me at all. Actually, I, you know, I loved high school. I was, I was naive, you know. I loved high school I too. loved I, no, high I'm school. With, I, I, I loved high I school. I hated some and people. I, had a really... I hated a few people. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a couple roughies. You know, and I, I mm-hmm. maybe hated myself more than I should have. I would go mm-hmm. back and just 
not give as much shit as I did then, mm-hmm. right? Not, I would just do yeah. it the right way, maybe, because I really did enjoy high school, but I held myself back so mm. much that I didn't get to really experience it. And I had a really hard time in my early 20s because I just missed out on my childhood mm. because I, mm-hmm, I refused mm-hmm. to allow myself to be a child. And so I had a really rough early 20s where I did a, I made a lot of really bad decisions and, mm-hmm. you know, got myself in a lot of messy situations. That's a whole nother sure, podcast. Sure. But <laughs> a whole nother podcast. A whole nother therapy session. <laughs> no, it's been several <laughs> therapy sessions. <laughs> yes, um, yes. But, you know, that's probably what I would do. I would just, I would go back and just allow myself to be me much sooner. When I came out of the closet, I was a senior in high school. Wow. And my life became so much easier. It was so it was like night and day and everyone it was almost like everyone was just relieved I admitted it. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. It was okay, weird. Yeah. I mean, obviously there was people I lost some friendships that hurt my heart because I, I lost mm-hmm. some really close friendships. But also I didn't mind because it was just so nice to know who cared mm-hmm. and who didn't. You know what I mean? So I wish I just would have came out much sooner and just been myself and not been as hard on myself and not held myself back as much. Well, I, I've, I've taken, I've taken uh, so much of your time and you've been so generous with it, but I wanted to make sure that before we left, uh, we've talked about, we are here, but is there anything else you would like the people to know about and where they can find it uh, that, that you're working on that you have coming up? Well, you know, honestly, I'm always working on my craft. I want to be, I want to do more acting. I love acting. So I'm working on being in other shows, hopefully movies. I want you to see me on the silver screen, but really, I want to really put a lot of love and energy into we're here. Please check out the second season um they just released that we got approved for the third season i just don't think they've made it super public but it is on imdb i think now so and that is on hbo max we can find that on hbo max correct? yeah so please everyone please go check out we're here season one and season two um on hbo and hbo max it is an hbo series but it is available for streaming on hbo max and you know mm-hmm. just keep an eye out for me and um really just keep yes. an eye out for yourselves do me a favor you guys Just make decisions towards happiness. The hardest thing you can do in this world is choose to be happy. The easiest thing Mm -hmm. is to be mean. It's easy to be mean. It's easy to hate yourself. But it's so hard to choose happiness. Choose the hard route because you can handle it. Well, and I want you to know, Eureka, that such is your impact that uh, when I told a dear friend of mine uh, that I was going to get to talk to you for the show. She wanted me to relay to you that her greatest sorrow at like the last drag con being canceled because of the pandemic was that she couldn't have, she couldn't set her new daughter on your lap and um, have, have, have little baby olive meet you. Little baby olive. (laughs) She was like, please tell Eureka that the thing that made me most sad about missing out on that was that I couldn't put olive in Eureka's lap. Well, you tell olive. I said, hi, baby. I can't wait to see you when you're all grown up (laughs) and you can come to drag con yourself. But you don't know me, baby. I'm just kidding. I don't know. (laughs) I love you, baby. Well, that is I, 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 you and being an influence on the children. I think is a great night, to, great notes for us to go out on, Eureka. Yeah, I'm here for it. I had such a good time with you, Jordan. Thank you so much. That was Eureka. Check out We're Here. It is streaming on HBO Max. You have two seasons to choose from. 
It is an entertaining and uplifting time. Uh, But before we wrap up today entirely, like I said at the top, I want to discuss The Matrix Resurrections. And you know what? Not because it's a movie I've seen. But what I want to say about The Matrix Resurrections is just that it's so, it feels so good to have this kind of event cinema again. And it's not because we don't have event cinema, but there's something so special about The Matrix. And it's because of the Wachowskis. And it is because of Lana. It is because of Lily, because of these two women who changed the world in some ways. Like, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a little lofty, but like they changed Hollywood. They changed cinema forever. They changed genre cinema forever. Like they, they reinvented the wheel. And in the middle of their careers, both of them came out as trans women. And that has, nobody at that scale of filmmaker, no, no famous landmark virtuoso top tier A-list filmmaker name in Hollywood. That's, that's never been done before. What a, that is a, it is their lives. It is their truth. But the fact of their lives is a revolutionary act at the scale that their work touches and reaches people. One of the great writers uh, of film criticism working today is Angelica Jade Bastien at, at Bulger. And basically, like, I await Angelica's feedback on everything. And I, I've been looking forward to, I've been hoping she would be the one to do the Matrix review for Vulture. Among an excellent staff there and Bilga Abiri, tremendous film critic also. But I, I've been really looking forward to Angelica's review and it, it came out recently. And there's, there's you know, leading up, setting up the review She says, teetering between a meta reckoning with the legacy of the first trilogy and a sincere blooming of a whole new story that feels boldly romantic, Lana Wachowski's first feature, Solo, is a thrilling triumph. And God, to get back on the on the horse for this particular property that changed wasn't the first great thing that Wachowski's had done. We have bound, ladies and gentlemen. But like to get back on to get back on the horse of something that reinvented your life that reinvented your career that re- reinvented and reimagined the possibilities of cinema and to come back so many years later after that original more than 20 years later and have someone call the work someone so esteemed and and incisive as Angelica call the new matrix a thrilling triumph it's just so exciting. And I, you know, it's out on HBO Max. We are in a pandemic hot zone. But that means, you know, I want this movie to do well at theaters, but I also don't want people to risk their health and safety. So it's like, you can enjoy this from the from the comfort of your own home. And that's a really fun thing in a winter spike of, uh, of COVID-19. And there's another part of Angelica's review that I just kind of want to send us off on because it makes me so happy. And she writes... Wachowski is bold enough to argue that in a strategically queer-fashioned world where boundaries break and the limits of the human body are rejected, choosing love is still a radical decision. And I just want to I just want to finish by expressing how fortunate we are to live in the time of the Wachowskis and how beautiful it is to have one of the most formative, storied, 
essential genre films, let alone just flat out films of all time, be woven in its very fabric at its DNA level, be a queer franchise by queer creators that, as Angelica says, exist in a strategically queer fashioned world. Oh, God. That just that just hits me in the heart. It hits me in the bloodstream. Put it straight into my veins. I cannot wait to mainline the Matrix Resurrections, and I hope everyone out there will join me in that in in reveling in possibility that the Wachowskis always present us with and pushing our imagination. So that is me for now, and we have could not, of course, put the show out without great people. You can follow us on Twitter at. Feeling Scene Pod, or you could join our Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Feeling Scene Pod. You can also send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. You want to follow me? I'm Jor Crew on Twitter. That's J O R C R U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported